Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, and the first chapter. I hope that you enjoyed and embraced singing, Crown Him Lord of All. The two best things that happened at the recent funeral of policeman Alan Jacobs was the singing of Bow the Knee and In Christ Alone. So last night as part of our preparation, my wife asked me to play that. Ron Hamilton wrote that song, Bow the Knee, when things bad things are happening in your life, there is a sovereign plan your king has chosen for you. And do you know what your response should be? Bow the knee. After hearing the people of God sing like that about crowning Jesus Christ Lord of all, it's intimidating to get in the pulpit and try to say anything. But we'll trust the Lord by his word and his ordained means of preaching to bless us now. I want to read three verses, four verses. A little bit of it will be review, but I want to go further into the important distinction that we believe and that is necessary to understand salvation correctly, that regeneration and conversion are two different things. And it's introduced to us in this prologue, this preamble, this introduction to the Gospel of John. I read verses 10 through 13. Speaking of the Word of God, who, when He took upon Himself flesh, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen Amen and amen. Verse 10 is such an indictment against us and the world that we live in in our race. That he was in this world, this earthly state of human affairs, and he had made the world and all that was in it, all things were made by him. Verse 3 tells us, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the world knew him not. They didn't recognize him. They didn't believe him. They didn't confess him. There was no fanfare. When you look at the paparazzi of our society and the fools that they pursue with camera in order to entertain the masses. It is such an indictment that when the Lord Jesus Christ was here, the Creator God, Jehovah in the flesh, no one knew Him. They knew that by how the sun sets and rises, what weather is coming the next day. But they didn't know that the Son of Man was there. Even though they had timed prophecies, and even though 
he showed them countless miracles, they didn't see him. It is the depravity of the human spirit and mind. God tells us in Romans chapter 1 that his eternal Godhead and power are visible in the natural creation. But man refuses to submit himself to that creator, God. And so though Jesus Christ was visible, and though there were miracles performed by him, the Jewish leadership got together and conspired to destroy him rather than to explore the divine nature of his miracles and humble themselves and believe on him. And we would do the same but for his regenerating power. We would have no use for the God of heaven, his son, or his word, his church, or his righteousness, if it were not for regeneration. So verse 10 tells us that he was in this world of earthly affairs, and this entire world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Then verse 11 tells us that he came to the nation of Israel. He didn't come to Gentiles. Jesus did not come for Gentiles. He said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it tells us, he came unto his own, his own people, his own nation, and his own people and nation received him not. Again he was rejected. Though we take in verse 10 the entire world, total depravity, then we narrow it down to his own people, the church of God, the nation of Israel, the Jews, they didn't receive him. Even though they were the ones that had the prophecies. They were the ones that had the prophets. They were the ones that should have known. They were the ones that firsthand saw the miracles. Received him not. However, there is an inspired disjunctive starting verse 12. But. An inspired disjunctive. Creating a contrast from those that knew him not in verse 10, those that received him not in verse 11, there were some that did receive him. And to receive Christ, based on verse 12, is to believe on him, because the first clause and the third clause tell us and define receiving him for us. It's to believe on him. To believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. But, that but is in contrast to the rejection of verses 10 and 11. But as many as received him, as many as, we sometimes say when we see that combination of adverbs, not one more and not one less. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Anyone that did believe and did receive Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave to them the power to become the sons of God. Thus far, we have no priority. We have two past tense verbs. The order of verbs is of little to zero consequence in our language and other languages. The order of action in a sentence is determined by verb tense, not by verb order. Thus far, after two clauses of verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, that's a past tense verb, received, To them gave, that's past tense, he power to become the sons of God. Now we have an expression by an adverbial phrase in the third clause of this verse 
telling us about those that received him and how to apply it. It says, even to them, in verse 12, that believe on his name. And last Lord's Day, in going over this for the first time, I, tr- I tried to make a great deal out of the loss of a letter. Because we have received, past tense, in the first clause, gave, past tense, in the second clause, but we have believe. Right. Where's my D? Where's my D? You don't get a D. The Holy Spirit didn't put a D. Because he shifts from a historical narrative of the world not knowing him, verse 10, of the Jews not receiving him, verse 11, to the fact that those that believe in the present tense, to them was given power to become the sons of God. So there is a shift in the verb tenses in the 12th verse. Before we even look to the next verse, I reminded many of you that grew up memorizing the Bible in Arminian churches that we always were taught to memorize John 1.12. But those people that taught us to memorize John 1.12 never mentioned John 1.13, and they didn't even tell us that John 1.12 didn't end with a period and was just half of a thought, half of an argument, half of a doctrine. Because verse 13 explains verse 12. But before we get to verse 13, we can already see that God gave power, past tense, to those that believe, present tense. Remember the purpose of John's writing. The purpose of John's writing is for those that believe that Jesus is the Christ to know that they have eternal life, that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He, he is writing believers to show them that faith is the evidence of eternal life and that they might believe even yet more to have greater evidence and assurance of that eternal life. 1 John 5.13 tells us that in those words. And so here we have this shift so that anyone reading this gospel that believes in the present tense that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus has already given to him, because it's past tense, gave to him power to become the sons of God. Verse 13, which were born. Yes, which were born. Which were, plural, passive voice. An action being performed upon them in causing them to come and pass through birth. Causing them to become the sons of God. Which? Who are these which? Them that believe. The last verb of verse 12. Them that believe were born. What is were born? It is a passive voice verb, an action being performed upon us. It's plural because verse 12 is plural. And it's perfect tense. Meaning the action was perfected before the present. The birth took place before the believing. Now we know that from the rest of Scripture, but we can see it right here in this passage as well. Which were born. They were born the sons of God. You had two parents that made a choice. 
and let's put them in the best light possible that they were thinking parents. You had two parents that made a choice. We want to have a child. So in lovemaking, they came together and created a child. By their power, they gave him existence, looking at it from their standpoint. And he was their son, or she was their daughter. God made a choice that he would regenerate or bring to a second birth by the loving gift of his son on their behalf who spoke them into eternal life, into spiritual life. And so we have a powerful statement here where God has chosen the words that regeneration is like being born. Do you know how much involvement you had in your first birth? How old were you when you knew that you had been born? I mean, just to know that you had been born. Five? Ten? High school? You had no involvement in it. It's incredible. God didn't ask you a thing about what would be produced by your two parents. Not your intelligence, not your height, not your physical coordination, not your opportunities. He certainly didn't ask you about your parents. Which parents out of this earth's population would you like to have? None of those choices were in your hand. It took you years to figure out that you had even been born. What's it like to be born again? God doesn't ask us because if He asked us, do you know what we would say? Not a chance. I'm very happy where I am right now. I am very happy following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and acting just like the spirit, the children of disobedience, the children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He didn't ask us. He didn't consult with us. He said, live! And we lived. And we were born again. And he became our father. We became his son by nature. By nature, by predestination, we were the sons of God by the plan and purpose of God before the world began. By Jesus Christ's death on the cross, the price of adoption was paid so that we could become the sons of God by our sins being paid for and we made holy and righteous by His death for us. But then we still have a nature that is incompatible And it's abominable in the sight of God. So He had to give us a new nature. And He did by saying, live. We have a new nature. We're born again. We're birthed again. We're begotten again. We are regenerated. Your parents generated you the first time. God regenerated you another time. We are resurrected from the death of trespasses and sins in which we were held. We have this wonderful verse of John 1.13, which explains the priority of God regenerating us before we believe the gospel, which were born, not of blood. Those believe in racial regeneration. I'm going to go over these things in a moment. I'm going to pack, I'm going to pack as much as I can into this sermon. 
I love this subject. This subject distinguishes us from many others. I remember being a young man and first hearing the truth about God's regenerating work, His creative work coming first before we believe the gospel. It sure did help make sense out of the Bible and out of our experiences. And it was such a pleasure. I can remember being a young married man sitting at the kitchen table studying John 5 when I first understood the verses that I read to you this morning. My wife claims I felt that what she saw was true, that I levitated off my chair. And you know I don't believe in levitation. Flew off my chair to see the parallelism and the comparison of how we're born again compared to the resurrection of dead bodies from the grave. It's beautiful. I want you to embrace it and remember it and to be able to defend the truth about the order of regeneration and conversion. So in verse 13, which explains verse 12, which clears up the priority... These people were born of God by the power that He gave them through Jesus Christ because the He is Jesus Christ in verse 12, gave them power to become the sons of God. And they were born, not because they believed, but before they believed. Because were born is the perfect tense of that verb, meaning that action was perfected. That's why we have Past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect. And perfect means that the verb was perfected. The action was completed and finished before the arrival of that tense. Which were born, not of blood. There's racial regeneration. We'll come back to it in a moment. You say, racial regeneration? Is there anyone that believes that you become a child of God by your parents, your pedigree, your ancestors? Absolutely. Jesus had to deal with them his entire life. They said, we have Abraham to our father. Now, wait a minute. You know what they're claiming? We are the children of God, and we are on our way to heaven, and we are righteous in the sight of God because Abraham is our physical grandfather. Paul had to fight that his whole life. Jesus had to fight that heresy, racial regeneration. So that's the Lord Jesus Christ in John 1.13. It's one of the weightiest verses in the whole Bible about regeneration because it condemns three categories three categories of heresy about regeneration, and it tells the only way that we're regenerated in one verse. Which we're born, which is being born again because of verse 12, which is being born as the sons of God. It is not of blood. It is not racial. It is by, it's not race. It's grace. Second, in verse 13, nor of the will of the flesh, It is not your decision. It is not your choice. You can't invite it. You can't accept it. You are not involved in the, in your will. Your decision making apparatus, your choosing has nothing to do with being born again. Because before you're born again, all you have is a flesh nature. And here it says, being born is not of your flesh will or the will of your flesh nature. But there are many that approach sinners and they approach preaching by saying, 
Sinner, if you would like to be born again today and to become a child of God, you just need to make a choice and exercise your will to invite Jesus into your heart or to believe on Him as the Son of God. But it's set at that point before they're born again and in their invitations, they say or they imply that they're not yet born again by saying, if you would like to be born again, you need to do such and so. So you're, they're asking the will of the flesh to make a decision to become spirit. Because Jesus said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so to get from here to there, God has to make the change because it's not of the will of the flesh. It couldn't be any plainer and simpler. The flesh will never choose to be a son of God. The, the, the will of the flesh will never submit to obey God or to do anything pleasing to Him. The Bible says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In Romans nine 16. We'll come back to this one as well. Verse 13 goes on to say, Nor of the will of man. Now we are outside the individual himself to other men who might exercise their will in helping a child get baptized, get baptized or to become born again. And so it's someone else's will. This could be a soul winner. This could be a preacher. This could be a pastor. It can be parents. It's not their will. No one can exercise their will to assist or help or cause to bring to pass the regeneration of another. It is not the will of man. So we've had three categories rejected. It's not racial or by blood or by human descent. It's not the will of your flesh nature, which is all you have before regeneration. And it's not by anyone else willing anything for you. It's of God. Period. Now we have a period. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that when we get to John 3, 8, and it says something like this, The wind bloweth where it listeth. What does that list mean? Wherever it wants to. The wind blows wherever it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Whose will is involved in anyone ever being born again? The will of God. Not their will. Because their will is ruled out right here and elsewhere in the Bible. Let me say it again, Romans 9, 16. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Thank you, blessed God. My will would never have submitted to you if you had not exercised your will to overcome my will by giving me a new will through Jesus Christ. So it says in Philippians chapter 2, So then it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. But now we can please God after God works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's all of God. When we say salvation is of the Lord, we believe it and we're not quoting a soundbite. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for John 1.13. Love John 1.13. Don't ever let anybody pull John 1.12 on you without making them finish the sentence and explaining how it all fits together. Because it's God's Word. We don't want to miss a single word of it. If there were no time restraints, and I had my tablet, laptop, and the screen was lit up, I'd keep you here till sunset. This is a great subject. It's the change that God's made in us. And He didn't have to make it. We didn't want Him to make it. We were happy the way we were. But God changed us. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Do you understand that we're dead in several senses? Mm -hmm. You know... God told Adam, in the day that thou eatest the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. So we believe that the day he ate the fruit with Eve, he died. His his spiritual man died. Because he didn't physically die for 930 years, and he didn't die the second death until the great day of judgment that is yet to come. So there's three forms of death there. Man is legally a sinner by Adam. Babies die. People die. Even if they didn't sin, they would die anyway. That's why babies die. Miscarried children that are not even born die. Because we're all connected to the first Adam. It's called original sin. It's a true doctrine. It's Romans 5, 12 through 19. Jesus Christ took care of that because he's the second Adam. If one man's disobedience made many sinners, Romans 5, 19... Even so, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. So Jesus took care of that one on the cross. Now we're practically a sinner by the nature that we have. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, describes us being dead in trespasses and sins and walking according to the course of this world. We act just like the children of disobedience because we have a nature in us that is bent against God and bent. It's committed. It's committed, totally obsessed against God and righteousness. And we have to have that nature changed. Our nature loves sin, hates righteousness. We have to have it changed. How is he going to change our nature? By being born again. By being regenerated. Generated again. Another nature inside of us. Called the new man in Ephesians and Colossians. So God changes our nature. We have to have that changed nature in order to to obey God, please God, and he'll never have a sinful, wicked, rebellious nature in heaven. So he's got to change our nature to make us compatible with him, fit for heaven, and prepared and able to will and to do of his good pleasure in keeping the commandments of Scripture. It's a change in nature. It's huge. It's, a, it's an act of creation. It's an act of resurrection. The, the words that are used are powerful. That's why I went through the comparison of how much involvement did you have in your first birth you don't have any more in your second birth. Or you have less. Now we need to be born again. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We're dead. And so Paul would say in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus would say in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We are totally corrupt by nature. We need to be quickened. To be quickened is to be made alive. Some don't understand that little word in the Bible. 
You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to come to judge the quick and the dead. If we just look at that sentence, can we define the word quick by that sentence alone without a dictionary? He's coming to judge the quick and the dead. Dead, quick, oh, he's coming to judge the alive and the dead. So quick means alive. If I cut your fingernail off, the part that proceeds proceeds beyond your fingertip, it doesn't hurt. But if I take a hat pin and stick it under your fingernail, it hurts because I land in the quick because it's alive. And so it says, and you hath he quickened. In Ephesians 2, 1, he made them alive, which is to be born, which is to come into life, which is to be resurrected. Now there's four heresies, three categories, and I don't want to confuse you with numbers. So there, there's, four, there's four heresies that fall into three categories. And the Bible warns against these heresies and another gospel and false doctrine and fables and so forth. And Satan has made great efforts to pervert the true gospel of Christ with a false substitute. And error on this important subject will leave men with false hope that they're born again. Error on this subject will fill churches with those never truly born again. Error on this subject will distort and destroy the power and glory of God in our regeneration. Error on this subject will exalt man by granting him ability with God that the scriptures deny. Three B's. I want to thank Elder Sonny Piles. Note it. For his creative sermon, the three B's. Because this is where the heresies come from. How do you order the three B's? The three B's are belief, baptism, and birth. Belief, or faith, baptism, you know what that is, and birth, or being born again. Every denomination makes a choice. Am I going to line up my three B's to match Scripture? Or am I going to line up my three B's to match orthodoxy, to match tradition? to match church fathers, to match the mother church in Rome. How will I order my three B's? Heresy number one, the new birth is by physical birth. I mentioned to you, Jesus and Paul had to deal with that more than any other heresy. Over time, what the number one heresy is at a moment in time or a period in time changes. But for Jesus and Paul, it was racial regeneration by your natural parents. Your first birth equals your second birth. You were a child of God by your first birth. Let me say it again. When John and Jesus faced the Jews and pressed on them repentance, do you know what their answer would be? We have Abraham to our father. See? They're appealing to their pedigree rather than their repentance. They're appealing to race rather than grace. We have Abraham to our father. Jesus and Paul and John had to continually fight that error. They said to Jesus in John chapter 8, We're Abraham's children and we've never been in bondage to any man. If they'd have just listened, they'd have heard the clank of Roman boots on their streets. They were in total bondage to Rome. But that's just a minor point. The real point is Jesus turned to them and said, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. They appealed. It's hard for us to believe. 
Surely there's no one that really believes that. Yeah, the Jews believe that. They still believe that. Are there any sects today that believe that you're a child of God by your first birth? Yep. British Israelism. For those of you that don't know, there's a couple million people in the United States that believes that the lost ten tribes of Israel are the Anglo-Saxons, British Israelites, and that you're a child of God by your first birth. The, the, the Worldwide Church of God believes it. It's form of British Israelism. The identity movement, neo-Nazis, Aryan Nation, and other groups fall into this heresy number one, that the new birth, becoming a child of God, is by your first birth. So they order it this way, birth, belief, baptism. And the birth being your natural birth, your first birth. Because at the same time you're born to the right set of parents, you're a child of God. Then you get to hear about British Israelism or the Aryan nation, and you get to believe it, then you can be baptized. So you, are you with me on the three Bs? They're messed up. Heresy number two. The new birth comes by pouring or sprinkling water on a baby's head. The Jews thought this way about the rite of circumcision. You know, the Jews could not take Paul's gospel of grace because it just divorced the things that they could do that they thought gave them eternal life from Moses and Abraham, like circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. So the Jews thought this way about the rite of circumcision. And they tried to add that to the finished work of Christ. Many denominations today believe that applying a little water on the head makes a baby a child of God. Denominations believing and practicing this are Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, and other groups. This heresy is infant baptismal regeneration. When we use the expression baptismal regeneration, we mean that they use baptism in some way in order to become a child of God or to be born again. Now, the error that most of us came out of is decisional regeneration, which we're going to get to in a moment. Okay, now let's think about the three B's. Roman Catholicism. What comes first of the three B's? Baptism. Born again by that baptism, and you believe later after you get through catechism. And you're confirmed. That's why they have godparents, and they invent all these additions to the Word of God in order to guarantee that the little baby, after becomes a child of God, will be brought up in the truth of the church. Okay, so that's baptism, born again, and belief in that order. Heresy number three. The new birth comes by immersing a believer in water. Many denominations today believe that immersion in water makes a child of God. We're not talking about Baptists at this point because... The order is a little different. The new birth, this is denominations that know that babies aren't baptized. So they only baptize those that believe. Now think, I'm trying to, I want to slow down. So they baptize those that believe in order for them to be born again. It's a different order of the three B's. It's belief, then baptism, because they can see in the New Testament that believers' baptism is true, and they're right so far, then they're born again. Do you follow me? It's the three B's. Now, on an occasion or two, I have been publicly critical of Elder Sonny Piles because of his position in the sonship of Jesus Christ, but I'll thank him again for the three B's. It's just a different way of putting it to you for you to think through how denominations err by getting those 
these mixed up. So these particular denominations that know baptism isn't to be applied to infants, but to believers, they believe, are baptized, and then born again. Mormons, Pentecostals, the Church of Christ, Jehovah's Witnesses. In particular, the Church of Christ. Thomas and Alexander Campbell were Presbyterians. They quit that denomination in the early 1800s and became Baptists. Then they quit that denomination and started their own called the Church of Christ. So when they left, when they left the Presbyterians, they got rid of infant baptism and took on believer's baptism of the Baptists. When they left the Baptists, they moved, they moved being born again from in front of belief to after baptism. And if you've ever met a Church of Christ preacher especially, they, that is their sacred cow. They want to talk about it all the time. That you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You have to be baptized to be born again. You have to be baptized to wash away your sins. What verse do they like the best? Acts 2.38. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men that heard Peter preach a fabulous sermon said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's Acts 2.38. So little Church of Christ children are taught about Baptists. Give me an Acts and 2.38s, and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the world. That's where that comes from. I love the Word of God. Amen. Quiet would word Acts 2.38 that way. And about four other verses in the New Testament that give the Church of Christ plenty of rope to tie a knot and hang themselves. Okay, that's heresy number three. Belief, baptism, birth. Heresy number four. The one that we were, most of us were involved in, in previous lives. And I don't believe in reincarnation. The new birth, being born again, comes by a personal decision to be born again. Invitations and altar calls are used to manipulate people into making a decision to be born again. Many churches today believe that a personal decision for Christ makes a person a child of God. Denominations believing and practicing this are Baptists, Bible churches, fundamentalists, charismatics, and other groups. This heresy is decisional regeneration. Baptismal regeneration means regeneration is initiated by baptism. Decisional regeneration, we are labeling false doctrines, we are labeling heresies. Decisional regeneration is that regeneration or becoming a child of God or being quickened from your state of death in trespasses and sins is initiated by your decision. Right. No one would ever make a decision for Jesus sincerely and honestly without being born again first. Right. And we know that from total depravity. That we hate God by nature. This or order of the bees is belief, birth, Baptism. Believe, sinner. Believe, sinner. And you'll be born again. Then you can be baptized. Are you with me on how each heresy just mixes up three things? Right. So all we've got to do is take three things 
and sort them by the Bible. And I think John 1.13 has something to do with that. These, these are the four heresies used by Satan to pervert the gospel of Christ about regeneration. They include the vast majority of professing Christian religions and denominations. They're generally well accepted. These heresies are taught by great men. These heresies are supported by history and tradition in their writings, the writings of men, and any other position will be ridiculed as novel. But that's the way it's always been with the Word of God. Right. How many wanted to buy tickets to get on the ark? None. How big was the church of God? Eight with seven questionable members. The definition of being born again, when we look through the Bible, we have the expression born again. And that is helpful to us because it is comparing our spiritual birth to our first birth. And that tells us a lot about it, that we're entirely passive in it. And it's someone operating outside ourselves that gives us life. Just by, the, just by the name of it. Born again. We know that we were born to parents. We weren't consulted at all about our first birth. We weren't about our second. Because right. the Holy Spirit chose to describe it as being born again. It's called regeneration. I've been through this, but I'm going through it again briefly. Regeneration. The first time we're generated by our parents, by God we're generated again. And when you do something again, you just attack a attach a prefix of re. So we're regenerated. That word comes out of Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Faith, baptism, those are works of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And what part of salvation are we talking about? By the renewing of the Holy Ghost and the regenerating of the, by the Spirit of God. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus 3.5. It's called quickening. I've already explained what quickening means. To make alive. We do not have the power within ourselves to have given ourselves life the first time, and we don't have the power to give ourselves life the second time. But it's called quickening, which is to be made alive. It's called a creation. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, right smack dab in the middle of a consideration of being quickened or regenerated. It's a creation. Because something new is brought into existence that we didn't have there before. It isn't a change from, I'm going to take that old nature and make it good right now. If that were true, we wouldn't be tempted to sin at this hour. But we still are because we have two natures in us. The one by our first birth, the one by our second birth. One of the flesh and one of the spirit. It's called a begetting, which is just like being born again. 1 Peter 1.3, James 1.18, it's called a resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. These terms, think with me a moment. These terms require divine power. These terms require divine choice. These terms require man's passivity. That means he's not participating. These terms require an instantaneous act. These terms require the giving of life. These terms deny any creature activity. These terms require creature death. Just the terms. What about man's condition? The Bible says he's dead spiritually. Does that sound like he needs a power outside himself to give him life? Indeed. He is without strength, Romans 5, 6. Does that mean he can do anything to help himself? No. He is an enemy of God, Romans 8, 7. 
Something's going to have to change his nature because he's an enemy of God. He's not going to obey God willingly or love him or his son, Jesus Christ. He cannot please God, Romans 8, 8. He's blind spiritually, John 3, 3. He's deaf spiritually, John 8, 43 and 47. John seriously identifies the depravity of human nature. John 8, 43. Why do ye not understand my speech? Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. And how do we become of God? Power is given to us to become of God by the regenerating voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is without understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Since man is in a condition that even the Spirit of God cannot convince him to believe, how are you going to convince him to believe in order to become a spiritual man? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So if you've got a natural man... And you want, and he want, you want to get him to heaven. He has to become a spiritual man, but you can't entice him with anything of the spirit of God because the natural man thinks it's all foolish. He can't even know it. So what's got to happen? God has to make him a spiritual man. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And when there's a man that's been born again, we can preach the gospel to him, and he loves it. And the change is all of God. Natural man is without fear. The fear of God is so important in the Bible, but Romans 3.18 says there is no fear of God before his eyes. Man is totally unable and unwilling to cooperate or assist with his regeneration, so we are blowing decisional regeneration to bits. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3.11 If there's none that understand, how will you get them to make a choice to be born again? The Bible says there's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. The only reason that you or I are here this morning, if we're here sincerely to seek the face of God and to love His Son, Jesus Christ, is because we're already born again. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Why do I even call Him Father? Because He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Notice the order. Do we cry, Abba, Father, to get His Spirit sent into our hearts? Or does it say, He sent His Spirit into our hearts, and thereby we cry, Abba, Father? All glory to God. We are nothing. Do you remember the rich man in hell? He begged Abraham to have Lazarus come back and tell his five brothers that they shouldn't come to hell. And Jesus, explaining this parable, said, Hey, they have Moses and the prophets. Why don't they go to church on Sunday? Saturday. Why don't they go to church on Saturday and hear Moses and the prophets read? Uh, The rich man said, You don't know my brothers. They don't like church. It's boring to them, so they're golfing on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, This is so weighty. There is no evangelistic method that can be imagined greater than this. And it has no effect whatsoever. Jesus said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, 
though one rose from the dead. Amen. That's man's condition. So in that kind of a condition, what do we need to have happen to us? We need to have our nature changed. Your Bible should still be open to John chapter 1, verse 13, is going to destroy four heresies. Three categories. By the three th- There are three ways of being born again that verse 13 condemns, and there's one way of being born again that verse 13 commends. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Those are the three ways, the three categories by which we are not born again, but of God. It's God's choice, it's God's work, it's God's power, it's God's creation, it's God's resurrection. He does it all when it comes to regeneration. This verse refutes all four heresies. It refutes racial regeneration by saying not of blood. It refutes infant baptismal regeneration, nor of the will of man. Because parents bringing their children, or God-parents assisting parents bringing their children, or a pastor or a priest or whoever assisting parents and God-parents bringing their children, it's not of the will of man. No man, no parent, no pastor, no priest, no pope, no man. It's not the will of man that can get another person born again. It refutes baptismal regeneration of believers like the Church of Christ because it says, nor of the will of the flesh, which gets everything started with them by believing and asking to be baptized, then to be born again in their scheme of things. It refutes decisional regeneration because it says, nor of the will of the flesh. So we've got to have the Lord God Himself must change us from flesh to spirit, which is the work of regeneration, then we would believe. Then we're baptized. Let's, can I give you another verse on it's not of blood? Paul preached on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Right. I guess it's not of blood. Well, I know it by John 1.13. How about baptismal regeneration? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Is baptism a work of righteousness or a work of unrighteousness? It's a work of righteousness. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. But the Bible says regeneration is not by works of righteousness. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Getting baptized is a great good work. But none of that has anything to do with being born again. Romans 9.16, third time today. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So that takes out the will of our flesh. The flesh cannot and will not cooperate to become spirit. It's impossible to influence the flesh to think spiritually. Decisional regeneration is Baptist sacramentalism. Accepting Jesus is the sacrament rather than sprinkling water. But the flesh will never believe and follow Jesus Christ. God must regenerate first and then a man may believe on Christ. The truth. Man is in a spiritual state of death and enmity such that he can neither cooperate nor assist in his regeneration. Scripture expressly describes regeneration as a mighty act of creative power belonging only to God himself. Scripture expressly denies the involvement of man's will or works in his own regeneration. Therefore, Regeneration must be a creative act of God, apart from all human cooperation and assistance, that changes the very nature of a sinner who is passive in the act. I'll read it to you again. 
Therefore, regeneration must be a creative act of God apart from all human cooperation and assistance that changes the very nature of a sinner who is passive in the act. The order of the three B's. Birth. God initiates. God saves. Birth. Belief. Baptism. That's what the New Testament teaches. Repeatedly. In various ways and in various places. The wind bloweth where it listeth. That's the will of God regenerating. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. John 3, eight. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is never to become a son of God. It is never to pray a sinner's prayer to become a son of God. When we turn toward God as our Father, it's because He has sent His Son into our hearts because we are His sons. That's what it says in Galatians 4, 6 and Romans chapter 8. The Spirit works where He chooses like the wind does. The Spirit works above our knowledge and control. The Spirit regenerates everyone the same way. There's no distinction in the New Testament, including infants and adults. The Spirit's work causes us to cry, Father. The Spirit regenerates those that are already legal sons by Jesus paying the price for them on the cross. I would love to take some time in John chapter 5, but I'm going to pass right on over it. We've got to get to this subject. And we only have a few minutes left. What is conversion? What in the world is conversion? We've been talking about regeneration. Now what is conversion? Conversion is to change something. For it to be transformed. For it to do things differently. Conversion is very different from regeneration. Right. Conversion. Now you, you should remember my definition of regeneration from the Bible. God's creative instantaneous act that changes our very nature. Conversion is the educational process by which a born-again person comes to a fuller knowledge and practice of God's will. Right. I'm sorry that this is like a theological seminary class, but guess what? I'm not very sorry. It's just where we landed today because we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and John 1.13 is about as theological as it can get. Because it says, but of God. Conversion is the educational process by which a born-again person comes to a fuller knowledge and practice of God's will. Many theologians erroneously, heretically, have combined regeneration and conversion and just slapped them together into the same bucket when they are totally separate from each other. Especially the concept of conversion. Because conversion is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, be baptized. Those things follow regeneration. They're separate. And we want to keep them separated. We want to rightly divide the word of truth like we're told to by Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15. Conversion is not regeneration at all. Regeneration must precede conversion. Regeneration is an instantaneous act by God acting upon us, giving us a new nature. Conversion is a process. It's a lifetime Who in here wants to raise their hand and say that you're already fully converted? I won't. 
He's still teaching me. He's still chastening me. And I mean the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is still working with me. We are regenerated once. We are converted repeatedly or perpetually. In regeneration, we are passive. In conversion, we are active. Conversion is believing on Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, being baptized, learning His will, continuing to throw things out of your life of the old man, taking on new things of the new man, and changing to be a Christian. And more like a Christian. And more like a Christian. That's conversion. It follows regeneration. God changes us. We hear the Word of God. I believe that. Regeneration made that huge difference. Then, if we have a faithful pastor, and we're faithful in the PU, we can progress in our being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And if there's a lazy pastor, or a heretical pastor, or a lazy hearer, they don't hardly get converted at all. God works regeneration by Himself. Men work conversion by God's blessing. Regeneration is the prerequisite of conversion. Conversion is the proof of regeneration. How can I know I'm born again? How converted are you? Well, what do you mean by conversion? I just said it twice. I'll do it three times. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. And keep the commandments of the New Testament and whatever Old Testament commandments still apply to us. Okay, let's think about the word conversion. Psalms 151 and verse 13. When was the last time you heard about Psalm 51? A few minutes ago. David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Amen. How would sinners be converted? By David's voice landing on their ears, teaching them that they are transgressors in what they are doing, and they ought to change their lifestyle. That's what conversion is. Jesus said to Peter, after he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Was Peter a child of God before Luke 22? Mm -hmm. Certainly. But he needed to be converted. What did he need to be converted from? His fear of man. When thou art converted, Peter, later tonight, you are going to look at me and I am going to look at you after you have denied me three times and you will go out and weep bitterly. But when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. It's not when you get regenerated. It's not when you get saved. It's when you get turned back into the road of righteousness. Strengthen your brethren. Our favorite, James 5, 19 and 20, the last two verses of James. Brethren, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, err from the truth, if any of you, brethren, err from the truth, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Amen. There's conversion. A born-again child of God that James is calling a brother falls into some sin, some error. Let the man know that converts that brother back into the way of righteousness, back into the way of truth, that he has saved a soul. Now it's called a salvation there. But these men are already saved. 
They're already born again, beloved brethren of the Apostle James. But the salvation is conversion. Because it says so. Let him know that he which converteth, converteth the sinner from the error of his way, not from the pangs of hell, not from all of his sins and iniquities, not from his legal condemnation in Adam, but converts him back from his error. It's called conversion. There's so much more that could be said. We, we look at, we think about Cornelius. There's a whole chapter in the Bible about Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. He heard the gospel. He believed the gospel and was baptized by the ministry of Peter. He heard, believed, and was baptized by Peter. But before Peter ever met him, according to Acts 10, he already feared God. He prayed, and God heard his prayers. God only hears the prayers of the righteous. He gave alms, which were accepted by God. He worked righteousness. This is all stated in Acts 10, before he met Peter. He was accepted with God. Five things about him. Feared God. Gave alms to the people and they were accepted by God. He prayed and his prayers were heard by God. He was righteous, had righteous works, and he was accepted with God before he ever met Peter. So when do you think he was born again? After baptism? In the, in the pool? Or before he met Peter? Amen. Because it's birth, belief, Baptism. So what did Peter do for him? Peter converted him. How? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. He heard it. He believed. He repented of his sins and he was baptized. And there's a, That's about as beautiful as it gets. Are you born again? The, verse, the first verse that I read to you this morning. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That's perfect tense, is passed. The way we would write that today is has been passed, but in the King James Bible it's is passed from death into life. An action already completed before you heard the gospel and you believed it. If you hear the gospel and you believe it and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the evidence that God, by an instantaneous creative act, changed your very nature for that to happen. And so we have birth, belief, baptism. How do we know that we've been birthed? By believing. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John 5, 1. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Do you want to know if you're born again? Love the brethren. As soon as we say amen in a couple of minutes or longer, because I love all of you and I try to tell the truth. Love the brethren. Who are you? Who will you say a kind and encouraging, uplifting word to? Who will you go after in just a few minutes? Because 1 John 3.14, same gospel writer, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So we know about regeneration by loving each other. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Notice the order always. Birth, belief, love, baptism. And that's how we know we were born again. Good works. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. 
Do you think you have to do righteousness in order to be born again? Or can you tell from that verse that that's the perfect tense, meaning that you were born first and then you bring forth works of righteousness? This is still John, 1 John 2.29. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. You find somebody running around in sin. Did you hear the attitude that we're supposed to have from Psalm 51? Every child of God sins. If we say that we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. But Adam gave us the perfect description of it. A true child of God is going to sin, but when he sins, did you hear explained to you the humility and the transparency and the eagerness with which he confessed those sins? He was not going to play in them and wallow in them. And so it says in the word of God, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. He has a new nature. His seed of the new man. Oh boy. Regeneration is compared to birth. That should have been very helpful to you. Taking responsibility for regeneration brings pride. Man thinks he can do God's work. I've never thought for one second since I was ordained in 1984 that I could help anyone be born again. But I sure have tried to convert men that were born again with the power of God. The invitation. The invitation. As it's practiced today in so many churches, is only 150 years old. It was invented by Charles Finney, a Presbyterian evangelist in the outstate part of New York, and a direct result of decisional regeneration heresy. That's where it comes from. Consequently, going forward, going forward today is considered synonymous with being born again. You know, when you're in in a Billy Graham crusade or you're in an Arminian church and they give the invitation, the altar call, whatever words they have for it, uh, it's going forward. You know, you need to come forward and confess Christ and you can be born again today. That is being said in hundreds and thousands of pulpits. It's all wrong. The only man that will properly ever go forward or confess Christ or repent of their sins is a man who's already been born again. Because the the flesh nature will never do it. Only the spiritual nature will do it. Some cannot reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. But what I've just explained reconciles them perfectly. The truth leaves God sovereign in regeneration and man responsible in conversion. It does not promote wickedness since a man can only be sure of regeneration by diligent obedience. Ever wonder if God could or how he would save infants? Wonder no more. Any other scheme doesn't save them. As food is not the means to obtain physical life, neither is truth the means to obtain spiritual life. It's what we live on after we have life. Since John the Baptist was led by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb and leaped for joy when meeting the mother of his Lord Jesus Christ, when was he born again? Before he was born. If regeneration were removed as an object of preaching, profitable instruction would greatly increase. You know, the average Arminian church today where they're, where they're conservative, I'm not talking about New Spring. I'm talking about Bible preaching Arminian churches. The great driving desire and goal for their assemblies is to get people born again. When that is lifted, 
then they can get into the Word of God and preach the whole counsel of God and all the parts of our lives that it impacts. Will the flesh choose to be spiritual if it is fed a warm meal when it is hungry? You're both right. Yes, it will choose, but no, it will not choose sincerely. It'll just choose to feed its belly. But how many missionary efforts are based on appealing to the flesh to get the flesh to make a choice to become spiritual? If, if a man in the flesh is allowed to play on the church softball team, will he come to an assembly once a week? Yes. But it's not getting born again. If a man in the flesh hears just as I am hummed 15 times at the end of a good sermon, might he go forward? Yeah. If a man in the flesh watches Left Behind or some other horror film about hell, could he, get in, could he try to get saved again and again and again? All popular theories about being born again are wrong. Regeneration is the work of God. It is by the means of Christ's voice. It is totally a matter of grace. Thank you. Blessed God. Conversion is the evidence of regeneration. Without conversion, without a changed life, there is no evidence of regeneration. To tell somebody that they are born again because they prayed a quick prayer, mimicking it, copying it after someone else who led them through it, and telling them they're born again because of that, that is a lie from hell. The Bible says that a changed life is the evidence of eternal life. A changed life is the evidence of being born again. Fruitless lives and fruitless churches are other symptoms of this easy believism heresy. The truth exalts the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior, and no flesh can glory in his presence. We're sometimes asked, what, where do we stand in the doctrine of salvation? Are you guys Calvinists? We're not really Calvinists. We don't mind people calling us Calvinists if they're going to use it very loosely. It's just a general term meaning somebody that believes in total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. But when we get to irresistible grace, we have a difference with Calvinists. Right. To a Calvinist, irresistible grace applies to conversion. Listen to me very carefully. To a Calvinist, irresistible grace applies to conversion. We deny. Right. God hasn't guaranteed the full conversion of anyone. Right. Irresistible grace applies to regeneration. Amen. That no man can resist the grace of God in the instantaneous creative act of regeneration. If that clarification is made, we believe in the eye of tulip. Irresistible grace applies to regeneration. And we have a little problem with perseverance of the saints because we believe in preservation of the saints by God's grace, not that they're going to persevere. I need four ushers. A little handout to help you remember some of the things that we have just covered. While it's being handed out, South Carolina, Greenville, has quite a Baptist heritage. Do, does everybody know what Furman University w was started for? Furman University was a seminary to train Baptist preachers. Has anybody ever been on Pettigrew Street? Boyce Avenue. James Pettigrew Boyce. One of the earliest Baptists in this state. This is just a little bit of spiritual entertainment for you. Here's what he says about regeneration. The relation of regeneration to conversion, that's what we've learned today. 
The relation of regeneration to conversion will, therefore, appear to be one of invariable antecedents. You know what he means? In every occasion and at all times, regeneration precedes conversion. I want to go drive down Pettigrew Street right now. If somebody wants to join me, we'll get an ice cream. We'll walk Boyce Avenue. His next point. There is not only antecedents. Not only does regeneration precede conversion, but in some cases an appreciable interval. We're holding the faith of our fathers. The strict and particular Baptists of England, Wales, America, the old gospel light Presbyterians, and others understood the order of regeneration before conversion and an appreciable interval between them and so that events like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 make perfectly good sense with their doctrine. Regeneration and conversion compared. There's two columns. The time is all long gone. The train has left the station. Um, But there you can see regeneration and conversion. If you want to fold this up and keep it in your Bible, it compares the two. Just starting off those two columns, regeneration is a creative act of God. Conversion is a revealed duty of man. They're very different things, and the Bible supports it. If you look down to the second section, the gospel is not involved in regeneration because first, the condition of man that the Bible teaches is to be totally depraved. Point number one, we always start with total depravity. Have to. It's the place to start when you're going to discuss salvation with anyone. The condition of man precludes it. The gospel cannot be involved in regenerating a person because the condition of man is going to reject the gospel every time. That's point one. You flip the page over. Number two, the Bible denies man's involvement in regeneration. Number three, the results of regeneration preclude it because everything that men say is a condition the Bible teaches is a result. Of regeneration. Number four, the means of regeneration precludes it because it's entirely assigned to the work of God. Number five, the description of regeneration in the terms that the Bible uses means that man is passive and God is active. Number six, the purpose of the gospel precludes it. It's only to bring life and immortality to light. It doesn't bring life. That's number six. Number seven, the examples. John the Baptist regenerated before he was even born. Cornelius, Lydia, and so forth. And last of all, the glory of God precludes it because there's going to be no glory shared in heaven. God gets all the glory. We do not participate in regeneration. Otherwise, in heaven, we would be partaking of the praise and thanksgiving for salvation. And God will have none of that. It will all be given to him. Thank you very much for your kind and extended attention this morning. Let's take a nice break. And may God bless his truth to you. May you never forget John 1.13. May you give God all the glory for your regeneration.